If you're a guest, we promise you, we are passionate, but not perfect, right? We love what we're doing, and uh, today's just one of those days. Well, good morning. My name's Tony Baker. I am the lead pastor here at Gateway. A little strange transition here, um, so I'm going to try to get right into it. But let me just start by saying um, we've all experienced those embarrassing moments in life whether you're sitting on a job interview, or you're sitting on a first date, or you're in a meeting, or you're in a group of people, and all of a sudden, your stomach starts growling. Hunger pains, right? We've all experienced hunger pains. Now, I did a little research, because, you know, is it P-A-I-N-S, or is it P-A-N-G-S? Pains? Or pangs? Which is it? How many of you think it's pangs? Raise your hand. Oh, come on, a few of you. A few of you. How many think it's hunger pains? P A I N S. And, and we're about, and that's just like typical United States of America, split down the middle and everything, right? Uh, I actually did a little research. Either or is fine. It works, either or. So if you like pains, you're correct. If you like pangs, you're correct. Um, so I did get curious about hunger pains, and I did a little of my own medical research. What causes it? What are the symptoms? How do you fix it? Um, here's what the symptoms are. You get this pain in the left side of your stomach, and it's literally a pain, and it's a convulsion, this gnawing or this rumbling in your stomach, this feeling empty right here. The cause is because it may not even be that your body is complete, your stomach's completely empty. It's that you've trained your stomach and your mind, your mind and your stomach, that to eat at a certain time of the day. And so when your body has this like internal clock, and when you hit that period of time and you don't eat, your mind starts to tell your stomach, hey, you better tell this dummy that it's time to eat. And so it starts to convulse or it flattens and it moves around. And the stomach is just a muscle, so it starts to, to do this and it creates noise and it's, you get this empty pain feeling there. And it just wants to be fed, right? It's saying, hey, feed me. The solution is to eat. The solution is to take something and put it in your mouth, and swallow it, and immediately, almost immediately, the stomach will stop. Probably before the food even gets to the stomach, the mind tells the stomach, oh, he's eating. You can stop growling. So, when I was growing up, one of my favorite cartoons, and I watched a lot of Tom and Jerry. I got a funny cartoon for you I want you to see. Tom and Jerry. I'm so hungry, I can't think straight. Hey, take it easy, cat. You don't look right. Don't get any ideas. Hey, guys! Over here! Food! And tons of it! Oh, where did it all come from? Who cares? I'm digging in! 
guess we were so hungry, we just imagined it was food. What's gotten into you all? We've only been gone for 20 minutes. What's got into you all? How many of you have a dog that's eaten something in your house? Do you think your dog saw food? His stomach was hungry, or was he just nervous, right? I don't believe that hunger pains is only part of the physical world. We experience hunger pains. We all know what that's like. Our stomachs growl. They gnaw. We have an empty feeling. We have to feed it. And just like Tom and Jerry, sometimes, you know, we see things and we want to eat them, but I think I think hunger pains go deeper than just the physical life. I think we have hunger pains in the emotional, in the spiritual, and in the intellectual life as well. I think that there are streams in life that want to come into us and fill us up and make life fulfilling. Just like food does physically, there's also this hunger in us. All of us have this to belong. We have a hunger to belong. Belonging is one of the core needs and desires and, and that we have in our life. We want to belong. We want to be accepted. We want people to know us. We want to be known personally, but we have this hunger pain. We have this hunger to be accepted. And we do crazy things to belong and be accepted. Some people join gangs. Some people become something they're not. They lie and and they make up stories. So why? So people will accept them. So people will let them belong to their groups. And we have this hunger to be loved. It's an amazing thing for someone to completely know you and still love you. It's a scary thing to be that intimate with someone. But there's a desire in all of us. I believe that hunger is not just the physical life, but it's also in our spiritual and emotional life. We also hunger for comfort. We desire the basic needs to be met and then some. We don't want to just get by. We want to be comfortable. You know, Jesus sat next to a well there in Palestine one day, and this woman every day would come out with her jars to a well and fill the water. And Jesus sat there, and he had a conversation with her, and he said something strange and interesting really to her. He said, if you knew who you were talking to, you could ask me, and I would give you water that would quench your thirst, and you would never be thirsty again. Now, we all know physically she had to come to that well over and over again, even after her conversation with Jesus, because she's physical. She needed water. Her family needed water. But what Jesus was talking about was the hunger and thirst in her for something more. He even said, he goes, he goes, he goes, well, you know, I'm, you know, he gave her the, the layout of her life and said, yeah, I know you've been married five times and the man you're living with now isn't your husband. And she felt shame and she felt guilt for a moment until Jesus says, look, the hunger and thirst that is driving you to make these bad choices. I can quench that for you. 
So I know that hunger, even though my stomach growls and gnaws, sometimes my heart growls and gnaws at me and pains me because there's something about life that's dissatisfying and we're all trying to satisfy it. Hunger is nothing but desire and want. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. So we hunger for a lot of things, don't we? We desire a lot of things. What are you hungry for today? What is your heart craving today? So our proverb today is not from Solomon. It's interesting. I know Solomon is accredited is credited for writing most of the Proverbs. But today, we're going to look at a man named Agar. Agar is the son of Jekah. Most of the Proverbs are instructions. There's very little prayer. But here in the 30th chapter of Proverbs is a Proverbs from Agar, the son of Jekah. And it's a prayer. It's a humble prayer with instruction. And I want to read to you verses 1 through 7, and we're going to spend all of our time in verses 8 and 9. So let me read to you. The sayings of Agar, son of Jekah, an inspired utterance or prophecy. This man's utterance to Ethel. I am weary, God, but I can prevail. Surely I am only a brute not a man. I do not have human understanding. I do not I have not learned wisdom, nor have I attained to the knowledge of the holy one. Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Whose hands have gathered up the wind? Who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is the name of his son? Surely you know. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. And these two things are what we're going to talk about today. Verse 8 and 9 is a petition and a motivation. He asks God, petitions God for two very important things in his life before he dies. It's kind of like that deathbed, you know, Request. It's like that last meal request. What If you had the choice of anything in life before you die, what would that be? Agar has just two. And then he gives the motivation. Why in the world would he pick these two things? And then in verse 9, he tells us why. Let me read verse 8a for you right now. Proverbs 38, the first part, it says this. This is my first request, God. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Agar has this deep, 
passion, this deep, intense request of God that he would be a man of integrity. That he would be a man who is honest. It's funny, this idea of, of, um, of lies and dishonesty, it actually carries with it this idea of being hollow, of being meaningless. He prays that there would be nothing hollow in me, right? Agar understands that we have this built-in skill, really. It's a terrible skill, but we've mastered it. It's been sculpted by sin's hammer and chisel in the heart of each of us. We lie. We tell ourselves half-truths and things that are not true about others and about ourselves. We offer false narratives to people. We lift ourselves up, put ourselves in a good light so that we would communicate with people really in a dishonest way of who we really are and what we really think. We give these half-truths, we deceive, and we manipulate all for vanity's sake. Agar saying, I want all of this to be as far from me as possible because all of it is hollow. It's empty. It does not satisfy. I lie and I manipulate and I'm dishonest and I deceive so that I can get what I want out of life. And it leaves me feeling hollow inside and empty in all my relationships. Why? Because we're hungry for something that we believe is meaningful, filling, and purposeful. Instead of feasting on what God offers, instead, like Esau and Jacob, we trade our birthright for a bowl of stew. The things we think in this life will bring us happiness. We lie and are dishonest and we manipulate and we shed false light on ourselves to get what we want all along giving up our birthright for a bowl of stew that will not last. We've traded our birthright. A bowl of stew might satisfy you for a moment. But your birthright, you, sons and daughters of God, will last forever. Literally, Agar says, make me absolutely honest, God. Make me true. He's asking God to remove all that is hollow and worthless in his life. Agar understands that this hunger for life, this hunger for the things of this world, this hunger for significance, this hunger for whatever it is that you're hungering for, to him is just vain speech and words of deception. To get what we feel will satisfy our hunger. You might be saying, Tony, isn't that a stretch? I mean, it's, it's, it's a half of a verse, and you just said a lot. Well, if you put it all in context, it's not really a stretch. Let me ask you something. Why do we lie? Why do we tell half-truths? Why do we hide things? Why are we dishonest? 
Why are we dishonest with even the people we love the most? Because we're afraid. We fear that they won't love me. There's that need to be loved. They fear, we fear they might judge me. There's that need to be accepted. They fear that they might reject me. There's that need to belong. We lie and we cheat because we don't want to be honest with who we really are. It's strange that Agar would say, No, God, this one request I have before I leave this world is that you make me as honest and as true of a man of integrity that I possibly could be. So this petition to, for integrity, for, for honesty, is really tied to his second uh, petition in 30, verse 8, part B. He says this, second request. The first one's integrity, the second one's this. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only, only my daily bread. Now, I read this, and at first I thought, that's a strange request. Not the don't make me poor thing, but the don't make me rich either. That, that was a strange request to me, that this man would have this desire for integrity and to just be content. Agar asked God for contentment. Neither rich nor poor. Many people pray to God to deliver them from poverty. And I get this. It makes sense. I've prayed that in my own life. God, may I have enough. I don't ever want to not have enough. But he also prays that he would not be rich either. Now, everyone in the room probably just sighed because we've all prayed this prayer. We want God to bless us. We want God to give us all our hearts desire. We want prosperity in our lives. And it's even more strange to me this request in the context of Proverbs. Because many places in Proverbs we hear these things, these instructions. If you do this, if you ask for wisdom, wisdom leads to prosperity. Brandon and I were talking about this yesterday and this idea of prosperity. And I said, well, we have to understand the Western American idea of prosperity is totally different than an Eastern, Middle Eastern man's idea of what is prosperity. We tie prosperity to riches and houses and land and all this and having more than we need. In a lot of ways, his idea of prosperity is having all of that, but it's also tied to his peace and his family and his health and and so many other things that go into what it means to be prosperous. The request is strange in the context of Proverbs. Now, here's this funny thought. I, maybe you don't think this when you read Scripture, and, and I'm letting you into my office, private office, a little bit here. But as I was reading this, you know, I wonder if, why Agar? I mean, Solomon, you know, 
I picture God, and this is crazy. I'm going to walk you through the, my, my mind on this. I picture God walking up to Solomon and putting his arm around him and saying, Hey, Saul, first of all, you're doing a really good job. 29 chapters in Proverbs, man. You're doing great. It's some good stuff. But I need you to step aside here for a minute. All right? And, and you, you know how the insecure, you know, and, and Solomon, King Solomon, who is the wisest man in all the world, saying, what do you mean, God? Man, I'm, I'm the wisest guy there is. I mean, I'm the one to write this. I've already written 29 chapters. Why are you removing me and bringing someone else to work on my work, right? Hey, Saul, look. I'm about to teach people something, and you're just not a good person to teach it. What? Am I not wise? Yes, you're wise. But you're really rich. You got like 700 concubines, man. You got all these wives. You got all these palaces. You got all things, you know, you are not the guy to teach this. I know you're humble. I know you're wise. I love you but I need Agar. Agar? Who's Agar? You know, Agar? I need Agar to teach this. And I, I picture this happening. He says, you're too rich, Solomon, so let's bring in Agar. And Agar is this wise guy, and he has this humble prayer. How do we know it's humble? He doesn't even say he's a man. He says, I'm a brute. And he's this humble dude, and he's this humble guy who comes in, and he writes this prayer and this saying, and, he's, and, and his prayer is this, to request God, make me a man of integrity and fill my life with contentment. I don't want to be rich, and I don't want to be poor. I just want to have what you have for me. See why Solomon wasn't the right guy for that? Because then you all would say, yeah, it's easy for Solomon to say, Right? the wealthiest man in th- that ever existed. It's easy for him to say that because he has everything he'd ever want. God is wise. So why? Why the two requests? Integrity, contentment. Here's why. Verse 9. Agar continues, God, give me integrity. Make me neither rich nor poor. Otherwise, listen, otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal. So to dishonor the name of the Lord. Agar's greatest fear isn't being rich or poor. Agar's Agar's greatest fear is that he would have a broken relationship with God either through neglect or dishonor. That is Agar's greatest fear. He understood the temptation of wealth. He understood the temptation of poverty and he understands why his heart is dishonest in all of that agar understood that it is a hunger and thirst for the world and all the world offers us to satisfy the deeper hungers of our soul and our hearts 
he understood that these hungers lead us away from God. These hungers can lead us to dishonor God, to have a dishonest life with little integrity. Listen, when life is easy, we forget God. Agar understood that. The wise person understands that. That if life can get too easy, we forget God. Literally, he says, if I have too much, my dependency on God is not as strong as when I didn't have anything. One translation says it this way, I say in my heart, who is the Lord? I've told this illustration, and maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't, but an out-of-work man went to his pastor one day and said, Pastor, I'm applying for a job. It's not a big job, but I'm not making any money right now, and I'm, I'm on the verge of poverty, and I need this job. Will you pray with me that I get this job? I It's for $500 a week, which is awesome for me. When you're not making anything, $500 a week's a lot. So the pastor knelt down and he began to pray. And the man left the office and he went out to the interview and he got the job. And he started making $500 a week and he worked hard at that job. And it's funny, the pastor started noticing that the man was giving God 10% of that $500 a week. So he was dropping $50 a week. In God's offering plate. Some time went on. About a year or two later, the man showed up at the pastor's office again. He said, Pastor, he says, I'm up for a promotion. If I get this job, I'm going to make $1,000 a week. It's going to double my salary. Pastor knelt. They started praying. The man worked hard. He was a good man. He got the promotion. He started making $1,000 a week. He was thankful. He gave God the glory, and he started giving 10% of that $1,000 a week to God. $100 a week he was dropping in God's offering plate. A couple years later, he showed back up at the pastor's office. He said, Pastor, they're wanting to really promote me. I've been doing well. God's blessing. I'm giving back to God, and I'm honoring God. I'm not dishonoring God. God, I'm here because God did this for me. He gave me the ability to do this job, and I'm grateful for it. Can you pray with me? Because this job pays $5,000 a week. Pastor knelt down, prayed with him. He left, went out to his job, got the job, got the promotion, started making $5,000 a week. And that first paycheck he got, he sat down and he started to write out that $500 check to God. And he paused. He said, that's a lot of money. You know what I could do with $2,000 a month? He's like, I better pray about this. Maybe God doesn't need all that. Maybe, Maybe the church doesn't need that. And so, the guy gets up, he goes to his pastor, he comes in, he says, Pastor, I got the job, I'm making $5,000 a week, but I need to talk to you about the 10%. Is that really something that I need to live up to? I mean, is that a rule? I thought this was the New Testament time, there's grace, and, and you know, and God doesn't really want our money, he just wants our, our time or whatever. And so, the, the pastor said, well, I can pray with you about that. And so they get down they're in his office, they go down, and the pastor says, God, I love this man. I've watched you grow him. I've watched you bless him. 
I love him. You love this man. You've gifted him. You've skilled him. You've blessed him. And in just a few short years, you've taken him from $500 a week to $5,000 a week. And now, Lord, he's having difficulty giving back to you $500 a week. My prayer, God, is that you would please, please take this man back to $500 a week so he can afford you. The more we have, the less we give. It's because we think the more we get will satisfy us. And we reach a point where we think we have enough. It's never enough. And this man named Agar understood that. It wasn't about having a lot. It was about having this idea of being wealthy to where I forget God. I forget who, why I'm here. I forget who, how I got here. I forget who blesses. I forget who gives us the breath of life to even breathe. Agar's greatest fear is that he would have this broken relationship with God through neglect. And we neglect God. It's not about the money. It's not about what the church needs or what the church wants or what we want from you. It's because we understand this principle. You can never outgive God. Period. And it's a fool who thinks that you can go poor giving to God. That's a fool. You'll never, ever go without when you honor God. And Agar understood that. And he understood that temptation. But he also says... I don't want to be poor either. Listen, when life is too easy, we forget God. And when life is too hard, we blame God. It's a powerful temptation. Poverty might cause us to turn in desperation away from God. When life is too difficult, we're tempted to steal, to lie, to feel entitled to scam the system instead of working hard to and trusting in the Lord instead of turning to God and trusting in Him for our daily bread. We become envious of others. We become jealous and covetousness comes into our hearts. We lust after what other people have and I don't. We compare ourselves with other people. All of this, when things get difficult and we don't feel like we have what we need, Agar understood that I can dishonor God then too. It's a fable, or or it's a myth that poor people are necessarily in tune with God. Poor people can also dishonor God by not trusting in him and trusting in God's provision for their life to honor God in our need is to trust God in our need so Agar knew that everyone hungers for something and they will do whatever to get it they'll lie they'll steal they'll cheat they'll hurt others They'll even forget God in the most comfortable of situations. But Agar reveals something in all of this. That wisdom cannot be gained through just 
observation. That wisdom cannot be gained just through education. It's not just about great teaching. It's not just about a great family or a great breeding, you know, wherever you come from. It's not just about poverty or wealth. It's about the revelation of God's Word. Wisdom must be found through the revelation of God's Word. Listen, the Word of God is the only thing that can truly satisfy your deepest hunger. Why? Because it tells you about the deepest part of you. It it reveals to you who the deepest part of God is and how those two things connect. The Word of God fills you, satisfies you, tells you the truth, even when it hurts. Lifts you up when you're down. Challenges you to change when you need to. The Word of God satisfies our deepest hungers. So, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. He's gone on to the other side of the lake. And I want to read from you a a passage out of John chapter 6, something he says that fits right into this this morning in closing. So Jesus said to them, the crowd, they've all gathered around. I mean, you can imagine, right? He just feeds 5,000 people. It's a miracle. It's, it's incredible. They come running to him because they're hungry again. Their stomachs are growling. And hey, this guy's got baskets that never stop giving food, right? And so they all run after him. And he meets them there in the shoreline. And Jesus says to them, Very truly I tell you, It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread, right? Who doesn't want to eat that bread? I mean, it gives life to the world. It's from heaven. It's directly from God. I mean, the best bakers in the world, and I don't mean bakers as in me, Tony Baker. I mean, the best bakers in the world can't hold a candle to God's bread. Give it to us. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Why are you hungry? You don't need to be. Why are you unsatisfied with your life? You don't need to be. Why are you empty? Why are the hunger pains gnawing at you? Why are you chasing after things that will not bring satisfaction to your life? You don't have to be. Jesus says, whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. There's wisdom for all of us in that. Agar did not have the benefit of Jesus on earth. The Word of God had not come down from heaven yet. But But something about Agar connects to this story. There was a hunger in his heart and in his life for this moment. 
for the Son of God, for the Word of God to come from heaven and satisfy Him, to give Him the integrity and the contentment with life that He so longed for. Why are you truly hungry today? For some of us, we have more than we need, yet there's still a gnawing inside. What is that about? Why can't I just be content? Because you hunger for the wrong things. More money will not make you happy. A bigger house will not make you happy. A better job will not make you happy until you know what it means to feast on the bread that has come down from heaven. For some, we're doing anything and everything to get more. We dishonor God. We lie. We cheat. We steal. We're jealous. We're envious. We compare ourselves to others and think life is not fair. Our hunger consumes us. It hurts our relationship with our brothers and our sisters. The problem is, searching for what the world you think will make you happy will not make you happy. And here's our bottom line this morning. Until we are satisfied with just Jesus, everything else is going to leave you hungry. Everything. 